this is Wayne Goldsmith and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Safely back on the wonderful Gold Coast of Australia. It's Wayne Goldsmith, our coaching guru. WGcoaching.com is the website address. Uh, we've probably got you up an hour earlier, have we, Wayne, with daylight saving and all that? It must be just after seven, is it? Yeah, but, you know, when you're here, you need all that extra time to lay around in the pool and your shorts <laughs> and, you know, listen to the parrots. And I, I was missing something this morning, Piney. I thought, What's, what am I missing here? And I thought, about 18 layers of clothes that you've got to keep putting on. But... <laughs> Look, I have to give it to you. In fact, I'm looking forward to visiting the Gold Coast uh, for a family holiday in the next month or so. So I know exactly what you mean. I won't be packing 18 layers of clothing, I can tell you that. Maybe a couple of pairs of shorts and that, uh, you know, and a couple of T-shirts. That should just about suffice. And my thongs or my jandals. Oh, I've got to have your jandals, got to have your thongs. Well, look, I've, said, I've been telling my children all about Uncle Piney and that how he would love to take care of them for a week. So, look, if you've got a bit of space anywhere, I'd love to let you look after my four kids for me. <laughs> no problem. No problem. We'll negotiate that off the air. All right. Great to have you on the show, as always, Wayne. I uh, wanted to talk today about um, about player welfare, and, and I guess if we narrow that down a little bit, we saw on Sunday night in the NRL Grand Final, uh, Cooper Cronk, there'd been all sorts of talk all week, will he, won't he play? He eventually did play, but in great discomfort from what we could see with one arm pretty much hanging limply down one side. Turned out afterwards he'd, he'd, he had a fractured scapula. First of all, just because you can play, does that mean that you should play? Well, unlike a lot of issues, Piney, I'm, I'm really torn on this one because the, the, there's one side of me that looks at people like him and then when Burgess went through with a broken cheekbone a few years ago, there's one side of me that says, wow, what a remarkable athletic feat where someone is prepared to deal with that level of pain and discomfort and fight their way through, knowing in all likelihood they're going to be targeted because of the injury. So I've got one side of me looks at it with uh, just awe at Diane. With most of us, you have a headache or you've got a minor sprain of your calf and you're looking for a quick entrance into the emergency facility at the local hospital. But for these guys to take that on, and go, I willingly accept that this is going to be painful, maybe even dangerous, but I'm going to do it. One side of me says, great. But then the other side just keeps saying that, you know, well, what about if it all went wrong? What about if in the first hit that that break, and we don't know the details of the, the scapula, the shoulder blade injury that he had, but just imagine he got absolutely hammered in that first tackle and it went from a minor break to a, a full fracture or a compound fracture or, and leading to some sort of, permanent uh, disabling injury that could have gone all horribly wrong and I, I, I'm in a bit of a dilemma. I've got the respect and the admiration but I've also got the real fear and the, and the, the concern about long-term player welfare. Yeah and, and I guess often the decision might have to be taken out of the player's hands because a guy like Cooper Cronk who's built a wonderful career on being single-minded in his drive for you know supreme performance every time is going to, if at all possible, 
want to play. So there must be a point, though, at which that decision is taken away from him. Well, this is this is the argument too around um, being an adult. I mean, in 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 theory, in principle, in most areas of life, if you're an adult, you are completely responsible for the decisions you make, and you take ownership and responsibility for the outcomes of those decisions. That's the beautiful thing about living in a, in a democracy. And you take the advice of people, you listen to experts, you get the best possible people around you, the medical staff, you listen to people who've done the scan and the MRIs and you listen to everybody and in the end you've got to make your own decision. But but you're exactly right. At what stage does a medical professional step in and say, well, yeah, sure, it is your decision. However, my responsibility is to the safety and well-being of every player in the team. And in my view, at this moment in time, I will be making the decision. And it depends on the relationship you've got with the medical practitioner. And don't forget, Piney, in all grand finals at senior level, it is a game of survival. I have no doubt whatsoever, having been involved in a few at NRL level and other other sports, that I have no doubt that there would have been many, many other players in the NRL and the AFL Grand Final, playing with some form of enhancement, some form of support, definitely some form of pain-killing needles, some form definitely painkillers and a whole range of things just to get them through the game. And even though Kronk is the most well-publicised and well-known, maybe the most serious injury, many of the other players in both those Grand Finals will be playing with the assistance of painkillers. And there's there's an argument that if they can't play without painkillers, maybe they shouldn't be playing at all. Exactly, because pain is the body's way of telling you something's wrong, right? That's that's what pain yeah. is. It is, and that's the the discussion. Is and look, it's a great debate, and I don't know. It's another one of those those cloudy issues. Is that just because the technology is available and the the advanced medicine is available, you should be able to use it? The counter argument is. That and, and the argument's a pretty solid one. So hang on a minute. If I've got a player who can't play without 8, 9, 10, 11 pain-killing injections, which is, is the numbers that are being bandied about on Kronk and with, with similar injuries with players in the past, so they can't make the field, is that actually a form of performance enhancement? Because what it's saying is that unless they've got that medical intervention, unless they're getting those injections of painkillers, they can't possibly play the game. And it, look, it's not a bad argument. It's not a bad discussion to have. In terms of pain, you often hear a, a, um, a coach say, look, or a player say that uh, the injury that they've got isn't going to get any worse by playing. It's just how much pain I can withstand, what my pain threshold is. We've all got different pain thresholds, right? Yeah, and I, I think some people do. There, there is a bit of data around that 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 it's some of it's a physiological thing. It's about the the sensitivity or the way that your pain receptors work. With some people, it's a psychological and a, an emotional area. I, I remember having a great discussion with uh, Kieran Perkins, our great freestyle swimmer, who was a world record holder years ago. And I said to him, "Mate, I've got a question for you about pain." And uh, I said, "At what stage, when you broke the world record for the, for the first time?" into the 1,500 metres that you were swimming, how far did it start to hurt? And he said about halfway down the first lap. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a long way. There's about another mile to go after that. But there's some people that live in that, and certainly elite athletes, they live in a world of discomfort and pain, and they realise that that is just part of the business. But I think we often say to athletes that 
you've got to get a sense of where's the difference between just pushing myself to a limit that I've never experienced before, which is an uncomfortable feeling. And we often say to athletes, you've got in this world, in, in high performance, you have to become comfortable in being uncomfortable. So the majority of people like me sitting outside at the moment having my coffee with my candles on and relaxing, I'm very comfortable being comfortable at the moment, Piney. But with high-performance sport, we say you've got to become very comfortable being uncomfortable. But there's a difference between discomfort and pain, and that's something that each athlete's got to figure out for themselves in many ways. Absolutely, and and uh, the great rowing pair over here, Hamish Bond and Eric Murray. Um, Eric Murray often talked about Hamish Bond being able to withstand levels of discomfort that were well beyond a normal person. Is it something, do you think, that you can develop, or is it is it something that is genetic in some way? Oh, fantastic question, mate. Really, I, I think a lot of it is very trainable, particularly to say, look, guys, if, you, if you've got pain and, and there's a difference, again, between real discomfort and thinking, hey, wait a minute, I've got an injury here. When we use little, little athlete education tools like to say, well, look, if you warm up and you have a bit of a stretch and it gets better and it feels better and you're starting to move better when your calf moves up or if, you, if you're moving and it's getting warm and it feels better, quite often the medical staff will say if it's getting better as you warm up, maybe it's okay to continue. Obviously, if it's getting worse and your limit, uh, your movement becomes more limited and restricted, it's not the right thing to do. But what I tend to do a lot, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is I think a lot of training is just way too physical. Everyone talks about how many laps you've done, how many miles you run, and how far you row and so on. I think what coaches have got to be better at doing is finding those moments in training that they know are hurting the athlete from just from a lactic acid or from a fatigue level and use those moments to teach mental and emotional lessons, teach them about breathing exercises and how to relax under feelings of pain and pressure and fatigue. And I remember Wayne Smith said about all the amazing things that the All Blacks were doing leading into the 2011 World Cup and then winning the final, of course, and Welly, that he said, look, all the technology is great. It's, and having all the, 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 the wonderful support and the sports medicine guys he said all those things are really great but in the end it's the willingness of tired players getting off the ground dealing with the pain and the emotion of the moment and still making tackles and and I, I believe in training you've got to look for those moments where you think yeah they're really feeling it right now now this is a moment for me to talk to them about relaxing under pain how to deal with pressure I think you've got to be working on that mind body connection all the time in training how big a challenge, Wayne, is it for players to be honest with their coaches and their medical staff at an elite level about their injuries? Because there must be a motivation, I'm sure there is, of, of hiding stuff for fear of being left out of a team, losing your place in the team, um, missing big games. Um, just think to yourself, I'll be okay. How, how important is it actually for these players to be honest with their medical teams? What a cynical, jaded person you've become, <laughs> I can't believe that you would think for a moment that there would be anything other than complete honesty in, in professional sport. Oh, very, very sad day for the country. But, um, yeah, look, honesty is everything. It, it really is. That, that number one, the, the number one uh, quality that you like to see fostered in any sports team, and certainly at high performance level, is trust. And trust comes from honesty, from people living and talking and behaving in a way where you see their honesty every day. 
and you'd like to think that it exists, but it's also there's a lot of money involved, there's television, there's gambling, there's a whole range of other factors. What are, If you get to a point where a player has a good sense and understanding of what pain is and how it affects their performance, that's always the bottom line is if, if you're a professional player and you can say, I honestly believe, I know with certainty that my injury or my condition will not affect the performance of me as an individual and it will not compromise the chances of my team of winning, then some of them might stretch the truth a little bit from time to time. But that's the question they've got to, because their relationship and their commitment to their teammates has got to be based on honesty and trust. And if the players see that they're playing with an injury, which is then impeding the, uh, the chances of the team to do well and the team to win, then the rest of them are not going to take that very well. The, the other players will hold them accountable for that lack of honesty and, and professional players don't want to be in that position. So let's hope that they're all being very honest and trusting. Slightly different uh, um, layer of this topic. Um, at junior sport, I'm sure you've seen this in the junior sports you've watched, that there are players in, in all sports who, for want of a better phrase, go down a bit too easily. Um, you know, they might get they're the they're the 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 kid in the team who, when he when he gets tackled, might stay down, might cry a little bit, might uh, you know. I think you kind of know the the area I'm getting into, and often that's frustrating for for the parents of those children and also for the coaches. What's the best approach in a situation like that? Yeah, that's. I'm glad you raised that issue. I've got a couple of concerns around this with young players and injuries. The first one is after seeing what Cooper Cronk did on the weekend. Piney, that I mean, where's the line? If I've got a 10-year-old tennis player who's got a headache and I say, well, look, you can play because I'm going to give you two Panadols and two Ibuprofens, is that along the same lines? Is the lesson we're teaching them at that stage, look, it's okay, the painkillers are available, they're not going to hurt you, you'll be able to play the game. You've made a commitment to your coach, to yourself and uh, to the other players to get through and Whereas you grow up as an adult, you've just got to learn to deal with these things, manage them and move forward. Or are we giving that player a message, look, it's okay to take things to get through challenging moments. Where does that go four, five, six, ten years down the line and they're struggling with an exam? Does that mean they can take something a little more performance enhancing at that stage? It's a, and there's a line that all parents have got to try and come to terms with and figure out. With the, the other side of it, with the kids that are going down really a little bit, Always the first thing is their welfare and their, their how they, is, is there actually an injury? Are they okay? Always show immediately care and love and kindness and make sure they're okay. If it's inconsistently, look, it was funny. It was a guy in Auckland. I remember him well when I was there a couple of weeks ago. He was telling me about his son who plays hockey and we we're just talking about that exact type of situation about not being prepared to push themselves to their limits, not being prepared to take risks. And we talked about the importance of allowing kids to feel safe to fail and allowing them to feel safe to take a chance and not win. And no matter what happens to them, to be their rock and their their stability and their certainty in all situations, I think a lot of it comes down to that point. I don't know that kids do a, a Neymar and do a deliberate dive to get media attention. I think a lot of the time it's that... They, there's something that's happened when they've been young or there's a perception they've got that if I take a risk and I fail or if I push myself to my limit and I fail, that that's going to cause some sort of challenge to my relationship with my family or the way that they feel about me. I'll just say to parents, no matter what they do, win, lose, fail, 
goal, no, doesn't make any difference. Just love them unconditionally and show them that at all times. Good stuff. I want to finish with a listener question we've just had texted through. Now, in the wonderful state of Queensland, uh, you don't uh, do daylight saving. It's uh, <laughs> it's beautiful beautiful and fine. I know at 5 o'clock in the morning it gets dark a bit early, but otherwise. Uh, so daylight saving's part of this question. I coach a junior rep team, says this text, with a tournament coming up next week. The kids are 11 to 13. With daylight saving and school holidays, they were very flat at training last night. Any help, please, says the text. Well, on the daylight saving question, that's what we say about uh, Queenslanders up here, mate, that they're one hour and 25 years behind the rest of the world, and I'll leave that for another discussion, because I am a New South Wales boy. But, um, yeah, look, it takes everybody a few days to get into that routine. I'd be just looking at making sure that that, um, they get the training, maybe give them a little bit of extra warm-up, maybe give them a little bit of extra breakfast time. People adapt to it very, very quickly. I've taken teams on 28 hours of travel, and it's, it takes them three or four days to settle them, but they still do very, very well. Uh, we've taken them through Asia to Europe, got to London change, gone down to Portugal and out to an island called Madeira out in the middle of the uh, about 400 miles off the Ivory Coast, and they've still got up and done really well. The human body's incredible at adapting, but yeah, maybe just a little bit more warm-up, a little bit more breakfast, give them a little bit time, more time to get going, but they'll adapt to it. They'll jump out of their skin anywhere, anytime. Great stuff, Wayne. Thanks so much. Going to finish actually with a bit of praise on text. Hey, Jason, I'm a reasonable runner, albeit a novice. I love listening to Wayne's World each week. He's great. It's a fantastic segment. I always take something away from it every week. That was from Gene. So on uh, on Gene's recommendation, we might keep you on for another week. <laughs> uh, so look, I'm just going to go back. I've just got, got to put on a hat and some sunscreen and, um, you know, just soak up the beautiful rays on the Gold Coast. But, um, it's good to be home. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.